Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight, I have Dawn with me. And for anybody who is part of the Calvary Mac family, you know her family, because this lady just so happens to be the mother-in-law of our pastor, Brian. She is Becca's mom, and I am so excited to have her join me. We got to visit for quite a while last night, and I was just grinning ear to ear afterwards and so energized and had so many giggles after. So I hope you get the same experience. Don, thank you so much for joining us and being part of this Story Night podcast. And before we go into your story, as always, I want to ask you to introduce yourself um, just briefly to the listeners. You know, I mean, now they know that you're Pastor Brian's mother-in-law, but but what else about you in your life today? Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to participate in your Story Night event. I really appreciate that. I have been married for, let's see, I'm counting up 48 years. We have four children of our own, and we have 18 grandchildren. So, and they all, most of them live away from us. So we're kind of kept busy going back and forth and trying to keep up with everybody. My youngest grandchild is eight months old, and our oldest is 22. So we've got a real wide birth of them. And I have delighted in being a mom and a grandma. Only I'm not grandma, I'm Mima. And everybody knows it. I do not answer to grandma. I love that. Well, you know, so Mima, we can just, we'll all adopt you. Everyone can adopt you today as their, as their Mima, because you're just amazing. And we just so appreciate your taking time to do this. And we're going to kind of, as we weave through your story, I think listeners will start to see where just that heart for mothers and, and grandmothers of, and whatever names they go by really came from. But before we get to that, one of the things I sort of love is that we are recording this podcast during the holiday season. And as we chatted the first time, so many of your stories are sort of set in that holiday season. So in some ways, everyone, welcome to Holidays with Dawn. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to we're going to go back to some of their earliest days and I know there's some Christmas stories in there so it just it just fits so well. I love how God just has the timing just right always, even for something as simple as a episode on a podcast. <laughs> so with that, Don, will you take us back to your childhood? Okay. I was born the second child of five children. All of my earliest memories are spent in the church, and they were happy memories. Christmas was especially magical for us because we would always have a midnight Christmas service with the candles all lit all over the service. And of course, being a child, getting to stay up that late was magical. 
Well, I want to start with a particular Christmas story when I was five years old. And my brother got to be in the Christmas program that year. But I could not be in the Christmas program because I was too young. And I was sitting there and kind of fussing and fuming. And my mom had laid a rich foundation of talking to God when she would tuck us in at night. And so I was talking to God. And I was telling him how unfair it was that I was old enough to sit there in that pew, but I was not old enough to get to be in the program. And then a hush just kind of came over the room. And I sensed the presence of God. And Jesus said, Dawn, be still. I came as a baby, just like you. And I was a little child, just like you. And then I grew to be a little older child and a young adult. And someday you will be there too. I know all your thoughts and I identify with you. That really, really happened. It is so imprinted in my mind. And I share that because I hope that you will recognize two things. One, the importance of children's Christmas programs and how God can even use a time when a child is fussing and fretting and still touch their little hearts. And he does tell us that he is the one who draws us. And so it's a joy to know that we prepare the atmosphere and that lets him move. So that was my first Christmas story. And I know that I know that I belonged to Jesus. Now we'll skip forward five years. My parents decided to go into the ministry when I was six years old. And so my dad had to finish school and then we started moving around. We all had lived in the same area with our grandparents and cousins, and Christmases were always big deals. And right before my 10th birthday, our family moved to Indiana. And so we were out there without any family, and we were living on a budget, which I knew and so I didn't expect a grand Christmas, but it, that was okay. We went to our church Christmas Eve service, and it was special. But when we came home, we walked in the door, and there were presents everywhere. And it just took my breath away because the church People knew that we were away from our family, and they had brought us all gifts. And our neighbor lady across the street had contacted the Salvation Army because she knew that we were living on a tight budget, so they brought us gifts. And I have never seen anything like that in my life. 
And as I was standing there and my mom was weeping because the church people had bought her a mountain scene and being from Bend, she missed those mountains. And again, I just had that sense of God saying, see Dawn, I know where you are and I can take care of all of your needs. You know what's so beautiful about those two stories? Okay, the the first grade teacher in me is going to come out because it's this like this homophone <laughs> lesson here. But he gave you his presence, and then he <laughs> gave you presents. <laughs> yeah, and so I know that doesn't that looks better on paper than it probably sounds over audio. But just the two different kinds um, of of his gift, the gift of his being with you that that time that you mm-hmm. feel that he's next to you, that you feel communication from him, mm-hmm. presence spelled that way, but then also the actual tangible gift, something you can open, something that mm-hmm. you needed or wanted or that you would cherish, presence in that sense as well. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, a beautiful kind of picture of each. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he does. He tells us that he lavishes his love upon us. And I just had that sweet blessing of recognizing that this really was his abundance that he was pouring out, his affirmation that we were right where he wanted us to be, even as a 10-year-old child. So now I will skip ahead to being 15 years old. It just seems like the Lord moved in five-year increments. (laughs) We're skip counting by five, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we moved again. And at that point in time, we moved to a slightly smaller community where all of the kids had grown up together. They had a long history together. And it was really, really difficult to kind of break in to their social whatever. In fact, during this time, I experienced bullying Yes, bullying was a practice even back when I was a young woman. I experienced hazing as I was trying to join the Girls Athletic Association. They sent me through a line and they had sticks and balls and I was blindfolded. And they were throwing those things and hitting me and pushing me. And then they took me into the bathroom, the boys' bathroom, and stuck my head in the toilet and had me fish something out with my mouth. And they flushed the toilet on my head while I was doing that. And as a result, that just continued that sense of, where do I belong? I went through a time where I really was very lonely, and I was just looking for a place to belong, even though, you know, I had had those two really special places with the Lord. It still was a time that was full of change and full of challenge. And, you know, women have these hormones going, and I think that 15 years old is a difficult time for young women. 
Um, so if you have a 15-year-old daughter that you're kind of trying to figure out, know that God can move and that you can be praying for her. Well, I had experienced a lot of rejection. I seemed to be the girl that everybody loved to hate. And I was going through a hard time at school. I had gone to summer camp that summer and was elected to the camp council. That was a group of eight or 10 kids that would help to plan the camp for the next summer. And of course, we met with the adult counselors. So I was kind of going through a hard time anyway. I was really, again, looking for a touch from Jesus. And so I went up to Portland. We had our planning meeting, and they were talking about all these different sensitivity things that we could do. And when we came to the end of our time, the guy that was leading, he was the dean, and he was a pastor. He said, well, I think we've made a good start. Does anybody have anything to add? Well, they hadn't really mentioned Jesus. And I said, I've heard a lot of things and they're fine, but I could probably go to any camp and find those things. But since we are a Christian camp, shouldn't we be bringing in Jesus? the one thing that could make a difference. And that dean looked at me and he said, well, Dawn, how do you think we should do that? And everybody in that room turned and started firing all these questions about how we should do it. And here I am, this young woman looking for guidance in building my relationship with the Lord. And I realized that I was more hungry than any of them. Finally, there was a pastor sitting beside me, and he, he looked at everybody, and he said, well, I'm not sure how we should do this, but I think Dawn is right. That ended all those arrows that were being thrown at me, and we prayed, and we left. And then there was this big gathering of teenagers. It was called the Bishop's Convocation. And I thought, surely from the head person of our church, we would hear something that would feed my spirit. But no, it was all about what we could do to maybe try and influence the world we were living. And it was separate from God. Needless to say, at the end of that, as I traveled home, I was in such turmoil. And I walked into the door of my home, and my mom looked at me and said, she said, what's wrong, Dawn? And I just burst into tears. I couldn't even express what was going on inside, but I was so broken, so disappointed. So I just went to bed. And I was laying in bed and I was crying and just talking to God because that's what I did every time I went to bed. And I just said, God, if you're real, I need to know it. And after my storm of tears, I did sense a quietness again entering my room. And I heard him say, 
it was more, you know, unknowing, but I heard these words. And he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. The people and things in your life will always disappoint you, but I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And my word never changes. You can count on me. I am here for you. So here I am, knowing I knew that God had spoken to me because the trembling and the sorrow was replaced by peace. You know, and as you're talking, I know that there are listeners from all different cities, all different states, and really all different countries and different ages and life stages and experiences and different personalities. And many may have had very similar experiences, very similar feelings. Others may never have experienced or felt any of this at all. And I think that's the beautiful thing of sharing our stories is that you get to you get to hear stories of women that you really, really identify with and go, oh my gosh, me too, me too, me too. But you also get to hear stories of women who have totally different experiences or lives or personalities and just see a little bit behind the curtain of somebody that you wouldn't otherwise know, especially when you're talking about, and I appreciate you talking about 15-year-old girls, my goodness, because what we see on the surface is very rarely what's going on inside. And right. if we could just, oh my gosh, if we could see through what is going on inside. And sometimes those emotions are are quiet and other times they are so dramatic. And what you see on the outside doesn't always match what's on the inside. And so it's just, as you're describing this scene, it just made me think of that. Uh, no matter what age you are, even those of us who are, you know, well out of our teens, I think we still have have those moments of deep feelings and how we express them may be vastly different, but but we have very similar feelings. Yes. Yes. And you know, the the Lord does say in the world you will have tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And that kind of takes me into the next section of my life. Because I was a very fearful child. I didn't, I wasn't wor a worrier, but I was fearful. I did not want to ever have to live alone or be by myself because I just felt vulnerable. So I think, you know, some of the women out there might say, I have cried out to God and I haven't had an experience like that. And I just want to tell you, it's probably because I am such a basket case and God knows I need those kinds of content. <laughs> <laughs> it shows my lack of faith rather than me being a particular, you know. So anyway, I want to say that because I am a woman just like you. So I was married young 
I married my high school sweetheart. He went into the military in that first year that we were married. That was back in the days of the draft. And his draft number was the lucky number 11. And so he was going to be drafted into the army and he did not want to do that. So he joined the Air Force and he went in on a two-month delayed enlistment. Well, I have to tell you, just so you'll know, that he was already sworn in, and two weeks to the day after he was sworn in, they canceled the draft. And he would not have had to go. But God has a plan. And our journey and story are his. And he was ready for Evan and I to launch away from our families, which was very difficult for me. We ended up moving, first of all, to Wichita Falls, Texas, where he went to tech school to be a mechanic on a C-130 aircraft. And he did a good job. So when he was finished with his schooling, they made him the lead person the crew chief on that aircraft. We then moved to Abilene, Texas. We had been there for about seven months, and I was pregnant with our first child, and he had to go on a temporary duty assignment to Germany, which would put him being gone while I was in the end of my pregnancy and there was a chance that he wouldn't be back before she was born. So I had the opportunity of moving to McMinnville, where my parents were pastoring the Methodist Church at the time. It was a good time, and I, as I arrived there, there were young women in that church that gave me a baby shower, which blessed my heart so very much, because they didn't even know me, but they were the ones that wanted to bless me in that way. Evan did get back two weeks before she was born, and so then the wait began, the hope that she would come tomorrow so he'd have a little bit of time to spend with her before having to go back to Abilene without us. But she waited two weeks, and so he, within three or four days after she was born, had to go back to Abilene, and I needed to stay until I was medically released. When I did finally get to join him, here we were, these three young kids, really. We had barely begun to get established in a church. It had taken us a while to find where we should go, and then we had this three-year break, and I happened to be sitting in church, and they announced that the Bible study was going to have a luncheon. And I mustered all the courage that I could to go up and to the lady that made that announcement and ask if I could go to that luncheon, if it was just for certain people or if anybody could come. And she said, 
Well, sweetie, it's our last time to get together, but you're certainly welcome to come. And I said, well, there's a problem because I don't have a car and I would need a ride. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And so a couple days later, this car drove up and this woman came to the door and she had this beautiful smile. And she said, are you Dawn? I'm here to get you. And I walked out the door and looked at the car and she had her three children in the very back. And then there were two more ladies with two children, one each in each lap, and then a woman in the front with a baby in her lap. Well, I knew that this was the group I needed to be with because they all had little ones, but I wasn't sure where I was going to sit. And the two in the back seat pushed over and in Becca and I got and off to our gathering these ladies took me to a prayer gathering, and their purpose was to pray for our nation, which laid one of the significant foundations in my life. And right now, you know, how beautiful it is to have that foundation to pray for our nation when things are in such turmoil. But it was a fun time, all of us with our babies. The woman whose house we went to opened the door. She said, I'm Patty. I'm a child of the king. So I guess that makes me a princess. And I just burst out laughing because I had never seen such a joyful bunch of people. They loved Jesus. And we would just let our little ones crawl around on the floor and play with the toys. And we would talk and then we would pray for our nation. And when one of them would come up, we would just nurse our babies together. And it was probably the first time in my life when I really felt like I belonged to a group in this world. I knew that I belonged to Jesus, but I needed a good group of friends to help me during that season when my husband was gone a lot. It was a time that God had decided to establish our faith so that it was no longer the faith of our parents but our own faith. And so there were many challenges. And I mentioned to you that I was very fearful about being alone. If ever I had to go anywhere, I would lock up my door. I would get in the car. I mean, I'd get the baby in and I would get myself in and I'd lock all the doors and off we'd go. But the same thing, when I would come home, I would drive around the little block to check out my house before I would drive into our little garage area. And then I would just almost hyperventilate and say, Jesus, please protect us as we walk from the car to the door. And I would get my baby out of her car seat and I would quickly open the door and slam it shut. And I would run to the front door and unlock it and get inside and then lock it. And then I knew I was safe inside my home. And that was who I was every night while he was gone. The next 
event was about September and a year and a half has gone by now. I'm pregnant with our second child. We lived in a little rental house, and he had to go on another temporary duty assignment to Panama, during which time he was supposed to be gone for about two or three weeks. And we were in a small group of other young couples. And the one thing he asked is, because I was at the time four months pregnant, and I had my 18 and a half month old, and he said, I think Dawn will be just fine. But if you guys could just come over and mow the lawn for her, because we had a fairly large lawn at that time. And they all said, oh, yes, we'll take care of her. And so off he flies, and he's gone, and nobody came to mow the lawn. So I went outside, and I started mowing the lawn, and there were prickly pear cactuses that kind of fell over the fence from a different yard. And I accidentally ran into one of those, and I got all kinds of prickly pear cactuses in my shoulder. But I just kept pressing on and kept mowing. And pretty soon the man across the street came over and he leaned on my fence and he said, so where are all those good Christian friends that you're always entertaining now? And I kind of sputtered. It was such a challenge. And yet in my heart of hearts, I was kind of feeling abandoned, I have to say. And that just added salt to my wound. And I looked at him and I just said, well, they have families of their own. They're busy too. And he said, well, I have heart problems, but you should not be out here mowing your lawn. (laughs) And, you know, It was just one of those conversations that the enemy uses to make you feel less than and defensive. And what a reminder, too, for all of us who should be helping others, that when we serve each other, we're not just making a difference in the lives of the people we serve. We're also actually making a difference in the lives of the people who are watching. Oh, that is so true. Thank you for adding that. So a little bit later, a friend of mine came and he was out finishing the lawn mowing, which I had gotten about half done. And she pulled out these prickly pear cactus stickers from my shoulder. And so, you know, I'm just saying, okay, thank you, Lord, that she came right when she came, but just be with me. And then when I went to bed that night, I had a terrible allergic reaction to those cacti that had been in my shoulder for, you know, a few hours. And I could not sleep. And I had trouble sleeping anyway, because Evan was gone. And I would wake up and I would just be gasping for breath. I opened the Psalms and I just started reading and singing them and I would fall asleep and then I'd wake up gasping 
I was looking to Jesus to help me to know what to do, get me through the night. But about three o'clock in the morning, I finally called a friend who had the same doctor that I had, but she had had a baby and she already had a relationship with them, which I didn't really have yet. And so she called her midwife and the midwife said that I could take a certain type of medication. And so my friend brought me some of that medicine and, you know, it took an hour or two, but it did start bringing that down. So when I really was desperate and any time that I called somebody, they were there to help me. I do need to say that. And I had not called anybody to ask them to please come and mow my lawn. I'm glad you noted that because very often we don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly right. Sometimes it is hard to ask, like at three o'clock in the morning. But sometimes we need to be able to express our need. That was part of my learning process. I couldn't just assume that the body of Christ was going to be there. There are times when they need to know what the need is. But I would add, at the same time, the neighbor across the street who had already challenged me informed me, did you know that this was a drug house and people all over the the country would drop by here to take their drugs and probably have keys. And this is when my husband is gone. Now, I also need to add to you that he was supposed to be gone for two weeks and he ended up being gone for three months. And a lot of time is passing. The guy across the street told me that. And then I did tell my people, since I've already told you, I had a problem with fear. (laughs) And you know what? Two days later, there was somebody at my house changing all of the locks. So they just needed to know that I needed them. But at the same time, I was feeling frustration because I, if I got any help, nobody was really calling me to check up on me. I always had to ask. And I'm just 20 and a half years old. At, or no, I'm 21. So I was still very young and I was learning, but I had a lot of expectations from the body of Christ, having been raised in a pastor's family And that was a different generation because they really did come alongside their pastor's families and take care of them. So anyway, I was feeling a lot of frustration about always having to ask, nobody calling and checking up on me, and this ongoing mowing problem. Well, then we're living in Texas, and you know, you think of it as having pretty temperate climate, but the weather got very, very cold, and we didn't have a heater. So I was the mama who put the curtains or the sheets over all of the doorways going into other rooms and the windows in my kitchen. And I lit the stove, and my daughter and I just lived in that kitchen area with the door of the stove cracked open so that we could keep warm. And that 
you know, I was feeling pretty alone. I was praying, but I didn't seem to be getting any answers. And I knew that this bitterness was starting to raise up inside of me. And I didn't want to feel that way, but I did. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) And then one Sunday, we were sitting in church, and our little group was sitting together, and it was time for communion. And I was listening to what the pastor was saying, and he chose the passage of Scripture that says, If any of you is holding aught against your brother, let him leave his gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. And I knew that that's what the Lord was telling me, that I had to let go. And so I said, okay, Lord, I know I am angry and I'm hurt and I'm lonely, but I know I have to give this to you. And he let me understand that my feelings were as much sin as their not taking the time to check in with me. And that was an important thing for me to begin to recognize, that sin comes in all kinds of packages. I had accepted Jesus as a young girl, and I didn't ever do any of the killing or stealing or any of that kind of thing. But my anger, my bitterness, my frustration were all things that he wanted to wash away. So I said, okay, God, I forgive them. Please wash me. And then I sealed it with communion. And I knew that a great weight had been lifted just in obeying him. And I went home and I just was singing God's praises and thanking him for his grace and his mercy and restoring my joy. And I got a phone call from my husband and he said, Dawn, we get to come home in four days. (laughs) And the reason I want to share that is because We all go through times that are really hard. And one of the scriptures that the Lord spoke to me through was in James 1, and it's verse 2 or 3, and it says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet with various trials, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its work so that you can be pure, complete, and lacking in nothing. I love that you brought up that verse. It's one that a lot of people are familiar with or know. Um, It gets quoted a lot. You know, as we've been talking through your story, we really started out with holidays with Dawn and and a couple of Christmas memories during the holiday season for you as a child. And this next chapter of your life was really a time of facing trials of many kinds. And again, it shows up during the holiday season, which is a time of great stress and a moment where... I just think so many people will identify um, in some way with what you were feeling in in this situation. So tell us about that holiday season when you had all four of your kids and things were not going very well. 
Now we're going to skip ahead. We have added two more children, Becca, Melissa, Jana, and Brandon. Brandon was nine months old. Jana was three and a half years old. Melissa was five and Becca was seven. And Evan is now a pilot for a regional airline. And so on we go with Dawn being alone, single parenting, um, and figuring out how to maintain. All four kids were sick at the same time. He had been gone for probably four or five days. So I had been getting very little sleep because they had these fevers and, you know, kids don't sleep well when they're not feeling well. I was kind of at the end of myself for sure. And I knew that I just needed five minutes to take a deep breath and ask Jesus to fill me with his Holy Spirit so that I could keep functioning. And so I took all four of the kids and I took them to a room that had all of the toys and space to play. And I told Becca and Melissa, now I need five minutes, 10 minutes all to myself to talk to Jesus. And so what I want you to do is I want you to stay in this room and play with your younger sister and brother. Now, what that means is that you play with them. You don't get a toy out and get them involved and then get up and run to your bedroom and close the door. I need you to stay with them. Do you understand? Yes, mommy. And so... I said, okay, thank you. And I went into my bedroom. I had a Bible and a little area that I sat down and I just said, oh God, help. And I heard these two older children giggling and they ran into their bedroom and shut the door. (laughs) And seconds later, number three was at their door kicking it. Let me in, let me in, let me in. And my baby son had crawled over and was hitting his head against my bedroom. Let me in, let me in. He wasn't saying it, but it was clear that's what he wanted. And something inside of me just exploded. And I opened the door. It opened into the bedroom. And I hit the wall. And I took two steps. I stepped over Brandon. And I went, yeah, and kicked my foot through the wall. And then I ran over to their door and threw it open hard and said, what did I tell you? And then I realized I had thrown the door all the way through their wall. And I came out and there's this big hole in the wall. And I thought, oh my gosh, where did this come from? And I ran into the kitchen and I fell on the floor and I'm sobbing and I'm saying, Jesus, please forgive me. I love these children. I don't want that to happen. I don't. 
And pretty soon, these little kids come walking up and patting my face and crawling on my lap and kissing me and saying, we're sorry, Mama. Everything's going to be fine. It's okay. We'll obey you now. And the very thing that had brought me to my breaking point was now the thing that Jesus was using to fill my cup. I understood for the first time in my life why people might abuse their children. I know that I had the grace and the mercy and the Holy Spirit so that I did I stepped over, I kicked the wall, but I understood how a mom who didn't have the Lord could hit her child for not obeying or just because she couldn't get them to stop crying. And in that moment, the Lord birthed in me such an understanding for young moms with little kids and the pressures that they sustain. I said, okay, Lord. And I, from that day forth, began to keep an eye open in my neighborhood and out in my church community to look for people who didn't have other family around. And I became what I call a gatherer. <laughs> you know, this was the girl who needed to feel like she belonged. And instead, God began to show me that everybody needs a place to belong. So when we have holidays at our house, we often have people from outside our family that need families to spend the holidays with. It has been such a blessing and such a pleasure, and we have developed sweet, sweet relationships through the years the God, the Lord has given me opportunities then to start groups for young moms, which I am currently overseeing in the church that we belong to. It's Calvary Chapel, Ontario, and it's called Mom Moments. We have a Facebook page, and we do invite people to join that Facebook page. We just share little things of encouragement. We meet once a month, and I get the joy of sharing the struggles of being a young mom. I had the grace of having a mother when we were in Indiana. She had five children. Our baby sister was born two weeks after we moved there, and we had a brother who was a very, very difficult birth four years prior to that, who had oxygen deprivation at birth, and so he had he was kind of like a person who'd had a stroke. He could understand things, but he wasn't able to communicate. Our dad would be home on the weekends, and he would serve two small churches. But during the weeks, he left, and he was three and a half hours away at seminary 
taking his studies to become a pastor. My mom was such a great example of pulling everybody together. She did stay at home and she did childcare in our home. So I had a great example, but I know that there are lots of us whose moms had to work and some of those skills that come just from observing aren't as present in our society. And I know that moms don't start out to fail. (laughs) I know that we all want to do the best things for our kids. And I guess the world we live in is always changing. The way that they guide us in parenting, they come back 10 years later and say, oh, I guess that wasn't the right way to go. But (laughs) I return then to what the Lord spoke to me. Mm -hmm. I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My word never changes, and you can stand and trust in me. I love that you pointed out, essentially saying that the parenting advice that comes from the Bible doesn't go out of date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is not one of those that you know changes with the latest you know research or um, mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. And appreciate your vulnerability in sharing just the honesty of that moment with all four of them, where you really you know were kind of at a breaking point. And and whether this is with motherhood or really anything else, sometimes it's with work or marriage or family members or another part of life. I think all of us at some point have experienced that breaking point and the thoughts we have in our head, we'd probably never want to tell anybody out loud. It's like, I cannot believe I thought that, or I cannot believe I felt that. And there's just kind of a guilt or a shame of letting ourselves get to that point. I think it's very freeing that you can say that and say how you felt and say what you know those thoughts were and that it did make sense to you how people could do these other things. I think sometimes we we hear of something, maybe we know somebody or maybe it's on the news or whatever and we think, "Oh my gosh, how how broken must they be to have done that or to have said mm-hmm. that or how could they ever get to that point?" Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. reality, a lot of us are not that far away from those points mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you are willing to share that and be honest. I've heard I've heard moms say, I honestly don't like my kid right now. And then they just hate themselves for saying that or thinking that, but they are not alone in this sort of the just, it's hard, the struggle. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you mentioned some of the resources that you have available because people tune in and listen from all different places. And whether some of these resources are available to you like around the corner or not, you can still reach out and get connected because I, I know you, Don. you would talk with anybody from anywhere and yes, I would get connected. Yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt that at all. So <laughs> I wanted to thank you for sharing about, you know, these these holiday moments that you've had mm-hmm. in your life. Not all of them were from a holiday season, but many of them were. And there's just kind of that thread of when the stress of the holidays sort of threatens mm-hmm. to overtake you and it sets the stage for some very emotional moments. That last explosion was 
Evan was gone, but we were going to have Thanksgiving with some of his family. But we had to cancel because all my kids were sick. (laughs) And so I was experiencing disappointment from that and feeling like it wasn't fair that my life was the way it was. (laughs) And I'm saying that because, you know, even though I knew Jesus, I know him, I love him, and I want to live for him. But there are times when the challenges are great. And that doesn't change even as you get older. (laughs) You still And I think that's by design. One of the things that I did pray for my children as they were growing up was that they would have enough success to be confident and to be able to step forward, but that they would have enough failure to keep them humble and dependent upon the Lord, and that I would be able to guide them through those disappointments. And to point them to Jesus in the midst of them. He is our salvation from any and every difficult season. If we fix our eyes on Him rather than on our circumstances. Him who for the joy set before Him. And do you know what that joy was? It was us that he would be able to present us to God as joint heirs in his kingdom. And I understand now what my friend was saying when she said, I'm Patty, I'm a child of the king, so I guess that makes me a princess. Such an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when we can learn to allow him to lift our heads and focus on him. Even if we're complaining the whole way, it's okay because he will light our path. And he has been on this path with you from the very beginning. And it's such a sweet thing to see. I know when we first started talking, you had said, well, I don't have as much of a story. And I hear that so often from so many ladies that think, well, you know, my story's not dramatic or my story so far hasn't been maybe as intense or extreme or, you know, pick your adjective as some of the other stories. But it's not that, you know, God as an author writes some stories, quote unquote, better than others by any means. He mm-hmm. <laughs> He's an Mm. equally amazing author for every story that he's writing. And on your path, he was writing the thread of belonging and Mm -hmm. that each point, even, even as a really little girl at age five, looking up on that stage, feeling like you belonged up there and why couldn't you be up there? (laughs) He, I think really even then sort of said, you do belong and you, you know, I, you belong with me and, and I have a purpose for your life. And then we fast forward, you know, and we, and you're moving and you're meeting new people and maybe not having what you need, but God's always provided and like, look, you belong here. I have a reason for you to be here. And, and then, oh my goodness, the teen years. And I know Mm -hmm. that there was, 
there's more detail to the story of just the bullying. This is severe, mm-hmm. severe bullying that that happens during that time period that I know you experienced as well. And like, where do I belong? I don't belong here. I'm not included. Mm. I'm not wanted. And and then as a young mom, where do I belong? Where is the, where is my group? And where do I fit in? Where is my purpose? And the whole time, it sounds like God has been writing this story saying over and over and over, you belong to me. You are are mine. No matter what location you live in and no matter what group you're with and no matter how broken the world is or how much humans can fail, Mm -hmm. God says, you belong to me. You are mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I am grateful. Well, we are grateful for you for sharing your story. And Don, as we close, I I know your story has covered several different types of topics. There's so many different things I could sort of specifically ask you to address for women who identified, but just sort of sticking with that that word belonging would love for you to pray for all of the women who are maybe feeling excluded or left out or floundering without a purpose, just kind of not knowing where where they belong. Yes. Father God, I just want to come before you and I thank you so much that you are our Father and you tell us to boldly come before your throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. Lord, I lift to you the woman who is feeling lonely today. I lift to you the woman who is grieving during this holiday season because she doesn't have a husband or because she has recently lost someone that she loved very much. Lord, someone who may have been struggling in her marriage and feeling like that should have been her place of belonging, and yet there are so many challenges. Lord, I pray for that young mom or that family who has moved recently and are feeling so isolated, and especially during this time of COVID when there have been so many uncertainties and it's been more difficult. Lord, I pray for anybody in the body of Christ that maybe isn't feeling that loneliness, but that you would awaken in them a heart to seek out those who might be feeling lonely during these holiday seasons. Lord, that we can become life givers through our smile, through a gentle word, like the pastor that said, well, I don't know how we should do it, but I think Dawn is right. Lord, I ask that you would give us great sensitivity, that we would have more confidence to look to you and to find that help in our time of need. Lord, you've told us if we lack anything to let us ask you and you will give generously without finding fault. And it doesn't matter how much we've blown it because you came for sinners. 
You came to create identity. You started as a child. You grew to a young boy. You became a teenager. You became a man. You worked in the workplace. You experienced it all. You were chastised. You were forsaken. You were accused. You were slandered. Anything that we could possibly face, you faced as you walked to the cross. When you hung there, when your blood was shed through the nails and the piercing of your side, you paid the price. And before you died, you said, it is finished. It is enough. And so, Lord, I pray that anybody that might be in that difficult place during these holidays, that they would look up and that they would say, Jesus, I just need to know you're real. Touch me. Help me. Get me through this. Lord, and I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in it in abundance to strengthen them, and to give them hope, even though the way may seem uncertain. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sending your Son, and for this season that we get to celebrate Him. Thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. Thank you again for being here and for sharing. And ladies who are listening, I hope you join us next week for our next story because, drumroll please, you'll get to hear her daughter's story. <laughs> we get to have uh, Jana, not Becca. So for those of you who are part of the Calvary Mac family, you probably immediately thought that that Becca is going to be sharing her story next week. So hopefully Becca will be in the future, but it's actually a Jana that's going to be sharing next week. So we're kind of going through the family right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jana has a story mm-hmm. and I got to live or have gotten to live that story with her. So God be praised. (laughs) (laughs) So you can take that image of little Jana with her three siblings patting Mama Dawn's cheeks to comfort her on the floor when she was crying. And we're going to hear the rest of Jana's story next week because there's much more to it (laughs) from that point on. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so very much. And the Lord bless you and the Lord bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will have you back next week. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.